Welcome to Single Mom Stories with Kelly Travis, a show that brings you stories and conversations about life as a single mom, the mess and the beauty and everything in between. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Single Mom Stories podcast. I am so happy to be here with you. And I'm recording this intro on Mother's Day. So I'm sending you all lots of love. I hope that you had the Mother's Day you wanted. And if you didn't, well, <laughs> what can I say? We're mothers. So uh it's it just happens, right? But I do hope you were spoiled by your children and um you had some good laughs and some memories that were created on your day. The only thing I wanted for Mother's Day was a clean house. So the boys and I cleaned the house. And then a few hours later, the horrible winds of Vegas started and you can already see the dust floating. So it lasted, you know, like three hours. And uh, that's what it's like living here. But anyway, they um, helped me out. They were not so thrilled about it, but they they chipped in and, and um, we got it done. So anyway, I um, am very excited about today's guest, Pascal Brady. And I'm going to tell you about her in a minute before I do. I just want to remind you where we can hang out. If you're not following me over on Instagram, it's Single Mom Stories Podcast. And you can also hang out in the Facebook group, which is called Single Mom Stories. And you can find that at the link in the show notes. And there is a YouTube channel. I'll put that link in the show notes too. Come hang out with me. If you find value in these conversations, definitely head over and rate and review so that other parents can find this and be a part of our community. That's why I do this. I just want to help others be seen and feel like they're not alone. And that's why we're here. So Pascal Brady was, like every other guest I've had, amazing. And I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation she is the mother of two. She has two girls. They are now 21 and 23. So we talked about, you know, all the phases for her. She has been a single parent for 11 years. She became a single parent because she lost her husband. He was sick. So she's a widow. Um, we talk about that grief, moving through that while also transitioning into a new phase of life, having to grieve your loved one, and also be there for your children. So, so huge. We talk about her memories. We talk about parenting in general. And she has a great tip at the end that you definitely need to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you, you have to listen. I love this conversation. Pascal, I am so grateful for our chat. She is a master certified coach so she does some life coaching and she also is a parent coach. So she presents on parenting and she is presenting on single parenting at a national conference at the end of May. We'll be sure to share her information in the show notes as well. She's a great resource. We already talked about having her back on. So I was very thrilled. And I'm going to stop talking because you don't want to hear me. You want to hear from her. Let's jump in. Welcome, Pascal Brady. Hello, Pascal. I am so happy to have you here on the Single Mom Stories podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted. I'm honored and excited. Of course. I'm excited to dive into who you are and for you to share your story. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing parts of you with our listeners. So maybe let's dive in from the beginning for you when it started, how old your kids were. The single parenting thing, you mean? Yeah. It was 11 years ago, and it was when my kids were 10 and 12. So that ages me a little bit because I actually just literally a few hours ago came home from the graduation of my second born oh, from college. Congratulations. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So I'm a little uh, emotionally wasted right now. But uh, yeah, it started when they were 10 and 12, and their father died 11 years ago. Okay. Was it unexpected? Yeah, I guess 
that's never what you sign up for. But uh, he had had cancer for three years by the time he died. So he started having cancer when this when they were seven and nine. Okay. Wow. So not only were you taking on being a single mom, but you're also grieving. Right. And your children were grieving because they were old exactly. enough to like really be affected. Not that they're not affected, but. Right. I mean, no part of that is easy. You know, it, when, when you have a spouse that dies of an illness, that's a long illness, you, you have to deal with your grief, their grief, the aftermath of being, you know, single widow, et cetera, finding yourself to be a, a, the only adult in the room. But it's on the wheel, on, on the heels of three years of heavy duty, you know, caretaking, things like that. And uh, just, just anecdotally, my, uh, my youngest, whose graduation I just came back from today, actually had a very severe childhood illness that started when she was two and that lasted for seven years. And so she was ill, kind of, I was in that caregiving mode until the time when she was nine. And then we had, or I'm sorry, seven, and then we had a year off and then her, my husband got sick with cancer. So it was, so you get to that single parenting place from many, many years of caregiving and you kind of like already fried to start with, you know, and, and the other thing is I'm from Europe. Okay. I'm half French, half German. And so I, I was always alone here without family, without, you know, definitely with friends and, and with wonderful networks of, of friends and, and people who supported me here, but without any family, no parents, no siblings, no, you know, so that added definitely adds to it as well. Right. Absolutely. And were you working at the time or were you strictly caretaking at the time. I was working, but I have my own business and have had it for many years. I actually started having my own business when my second child was sick, just because that was a great way to be able to be and have that flexibility of being able to do the caretaking while also working. So I was definitely working. I have have a, a business as a coach, a coach, a trainer, a facilitator, and things like a speaker, but I was doing as much or as little as I could, you know, and needed to. So you're located outside of Washington, D.C. Your family is in Europe. You're going through all of this, grieving, also trying to take care of your kids, also working. How how'd you handle it? <laughs> not well internally, but not too bad externally. So I don't tell them too often, but my kids are the reason why I survived, you know, like, and I feel, I felt I didn't have a choice, but I still have learned since I've learned from all my wonderful mentors and co-coaches, you know, colleague coaches and, and therapists that in fact, I did have a choice, you know, I could have, and, and people sometimes do choose to just not cope and lay down and go under the covers or whatever. And uh, so I felt like I didn't have a choice, but in fact, I did, but really my kids are the ones who got me out of bed every morning when a lot of the time, especially in the beginning, I would have rather just not gotten out, you know, of any, uh, not of my bed or my house or anywhere for that matter. So, so I did, I did the best I could because I had them. And uh, the other thing that was a, a godsend is like I told you a moment ago, I had started this coaching business while my daughter was sick and, uh, and it was, I was, I was walking my talk. Let's put it that way. I was walking my talk. So all those things that I kept, you know, teaching and helping my clients with, I was applying to myself and think, you know, I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful and blessed that I had these techniques and that I, but when you're at the bottom of the ocean, like they work, thankfully they get you through, but they don't feel like they work in the moment. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You're so far down there that it's going to take a lot. <laughs> yeah. Right. A lot of practice. A lot of practice. Did you have a moment where, and maybe it was years down the line where you were like, okay, I'm coming out of this. I feel like I'm on solid ground again. I, I can breathe. I'm out of the like bottom of the ocean. And what was that for you? It's funny that you that you'd ask. So um, there was this moment where I was um, driving on the highway. So we have this thing called the Beltway around Washington D.C., which is our, you know, a highway around the the, the city. And uh, I was coming back from teaching a parenting class, as a matter of fact. And I had the sun in my eye, and I was driving north back to my house. And I felt it in that moment. So I'm like, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, and it was almost like a a moment of grace, like a moment of, of God, of somebody telling me something, telling me, you know, I can, I felt joy again. And it was kind of like the sun coming through the clouds, literally, but also like in my soul, you know, and I felt, I felt in that moment, I felt a moment of hope of, oh, maybe I can be happy again. Maybe I can feel this again, you know? So it was, it was this one moment. And of course, after that, I fell back in the hole, you know, many, many times, but um, it gave me hope again. It gave me hope that, that there could be a, 
a place that was no longer so dark all the time. Yeah. What do you think helped you the most during those difficult years? So besides my kids that, that made me feel like I didn't have a choice, um, I really, really think it was those practices, those, those practices that it was, you know, uh, teaching and, and uh, preaching to the choir for others that I started. And so, you know, specifically what I mean by that is I, I'm very lucky. I, I live in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., but I live in, in it looks like the middle of the boondocks. It really isn't, but it looks like it. And so I just go down. I, I live on, on a few acres. I go down my field and I'm in the woods. Ugh. I would go. I had a very um, naturalist husband. My husband was somebody, my kids asked him before he died, where are you going to go when you die? And he said, well, I'm going to just be back in nature and I'm going to be. So whenever you see a butterfly, you see a bird, oh. you remember, you know, it'll be me. And so I had that community. And this is the place where he and I would walk every day, we'd walk our dog. We walked together, especially when he was very ill at the end, I would always walk with him because he was frail. So this was our place, you know? And so it was myself it's just walking in nature and, there was typically nobody there, you know, and so being with the trees and with the birds and with the, with the creeks and, and the frogs and stuff. So I think that was probably the biggest, the biggest helpful thing. And then I, I did have a very strong network of, of amazing people around me, just friends and neighbors and, you know, colleagues from work and things like that. People that just really, it's a very, I can tell you because I'm French, it's a very American thing that when you're really in deep doo-doo, pardon my French, I can say that because I'm French. Yeah. When you're really in deep doo-doo, there's like this network of humans that support you and that come to to your rescue and that do things like, you know, bringing you meals and, and taking your kids to volleyball practice and, uh, you know, sending a cleaning service or whatever, you know, just like this unreal, I'm going to cry, uh, generosity and kindness um, that, that, make you feel like you're not alone and make you feel like, uh, yeah, like that, that you're not alone and, and help you get through those really, really tough moments, you know? Um, so I think those, it was a common, it was not just one thing. I think it was really a combination of things, but, uh, definitely, definitely nature and being able to just process the grief, the knowledge that I had, that I had to process it. And I couldn't, that burying it and sniffing it was not a good idea. So having a place to go in the woods and just like, live, live and, and process the grief. And then these people that were there and that were just amazing. Yeah. It sounds like you had an amazing support group. And did you have a hard time accepting that support or were you all over it? Um, no, it's funny. I have a funny story about that, but I, I actually didn't. And I think that, um, you know, I, I know we're talking about single parenting and I know that there's a lot of different cases of single parenting out there. Uh, and widowhood is just one and it's maybe not the most prominent one actually out there. And also that not all widows or widowers are the same either in, in the way they handle grief and stuff like that. But um, when you feel like you're really dead destroyed, you don't even notice what's going on anymore. You're just like really trying to just make it through the day and survive. And so that kindness, you kind of sense it, but you just take it because it's there. You know, you don't, you don't really completely process it. So it wasn't hard to accept it because, because I was in that survival mode, you know, and I, uh, and, and also I know the value again, through my work, I know the value of gratitude and of appreciation and how important other humans are to our mental health and to feeling good and to, to supporting us. So no, I don't think it was, it was hard to accept it. Uh, what was a little bit hard was maybe sometimes it was a little too much and I need, I needed aloneness or I needed, so that, that might've been a little difficult is how, how to say no, how to keep it at bay or, or set limits sometimes around things. Or when I started feeling better, you know, when I didn't need it as much. Uh, the funny so story I wanted to tell you is my mom came from Europe to help me through some of these really rough times. And she didn't understand it at all. Like she would, she would see, you know, those casserole in front on the deck every day or on the front porch every day. And she says, but where I'm here. What am I here for? I'm, I'm making all these meals for you. Why are they bringing meals? And she didn't have that because in Europe, we, we don't have that as much as here, that solidarity and that kindness. And uh, it took her a while to, to realize how amazing it was, but she eventually did get it. And she eventually did like feel it the way I was feeling it, you know, the goodness of it. So. Yeah. It's so interesting, like culturally, how, how people handle different things. Right. And then to, to experience it. So did you grow up in Europe? Yes. Yeah. I came here when I was 26. Yeah. Okay. So definitely a major change and shift. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What brought you to the U.S.? 
my husband. Okay. <laughs> the devil, the devil made me come all the way over here and leave my family. And then he left me. But Aww. anyway, so not, not what you, but you know, that's true for, I think all, not all actually, but many single parents who, the, the single parents who are not, who are single, not by choice, I guess, is, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily sign up for what you end up with. And, um, and it is what it is. Well, and to your point, there are people who are single parents, not by definition, but by circumstance, right? Like they're in relationships, but they're really doing it all by themselves or yeah. So there's so many, and I'm sure you see that so much with your work. Yeah, absolutely. So there was one of my, uh, in one of the workshops I did, I was talking about single parenting and I had a very politically incorrect assumption that because you only know your own reality, right? And so it's really hard to think outside of the box. And so I was just thinking that most single parents were actually single parents, not by choice, but then some people actually reacted and said, no, no, but what about us who actually choose? So there's definitely that category as well. But I do think that probably if you look at the, if you were to look at statistics, it's probably a minor, minority more of people who are single parent by choice versus, you know, the, the divorcees or the widows, widowers. And When you say that by choice, do you mean like women that choose to leave or? No, those those parents who choose to have children uh, while single. Yes. Okay. I have a friend who uh, chose that for herself. So yeah, there is, I think that's becoming actually more and more common. Yeah, I think so too. It's becoming more, more common, more habit, more more normal, more accepted, you know, and more and more doable in many ways, you know, for sure. For sure. Okay, so let's talk about the journey for you. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's been you said eleven years. Can you give us some highlights and some of the challenges throughout those years? I mean, now you have both of your kids have graduated college. I'm assuming your older one is maybe working. Now and yes, yeah, she moved back in. She found it took her quite a while to find a job through those COVID times, but she did. And so she's still working here for a few more weeks or months until she she has saved enough so she can go fly the coop. But uh, but we have a, an amazingly great relationship with both my kids. And so it's a, it's actually a wonderful treat. She's an amazing cook and she's an amazing vegan cook. So I, get, I haven't set foot in my kitchen for the last six months. That's how she pays her rent. <laughs> wow, that's nice. But, but it didn't start out like that. So, um, so some of the challenges, I guess, um, specifically in parenting. So, truth be told, my my late husband was twenty years older than I was, and I was his second family, and he already had kids, and so he was actually not super keen on doing this again. Um, since he was twenty years, I was twenty six. He was, you know, forty six and 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 above. And he was, you know, working very, very hard as an executive in a company and traveling a lot. And so he had said, you know, okay, we'll do this, but you have to understand you'll be the, you know, you'll be the caregiver when they're little. And so that was kind of a, but I I didn't care. I wanted it so bad that I was fine with that deal. And so I already had some habit of being, you know, really the caretaker, at least when they were little, because he really didn't have much, much interest in little, little tiny ones. But I think the biggest challenge was, so it wasn't so much the day-to-day, which I was already kind of used to do, doing on my own. It was more, more the whole, two things, decision-making, you know, decision-making where you're just by yourself. Like, do I let them go to the party or do I not? Or do I, how do I help them convince to go to this, take this AP class or not? You know, and, and you know, all these micro decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis with your, with your, with your kids, for your kids, about your kids. Yeah. That you, um, that you no longer have a partner with. And so whether you're totally alone, like a widow, widow, or, or whether you are uh, single, you know, divorced by choice, not by choice, it doesn't matter. But, but if you don't have a co-parenting situation or not a, a, a wonderful co-parenting situation, which that I, I don't think that happens super, super often, it's very difficult to have to make all these decisions by yourself, you know, or, or, or just simple things when you're in power struggles with your kids. I don't know about you, but I know for me, parenting, the, the, the reason why I took parent education classes and stuff was just, it was so difficult to know when I was, when I was right and when I was wrong or when I was supposed to hold the line and when I wasn't, you know, whether my limit was smart or, or not smart, you know, whether it made sense or didn't make sense. I second guessed myself all the time. All the time. I think it's completely natural. And I think especially as women, we 
feel like we're not doing enough or it's the wrong thing and we're going to screw them up. Right. And so those decisions like compound and then we start to feel like we're going to be responsible for their entire future. Like it just. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Awfulizing in our heads, like how much am I messing them up to stay polite? And the guilt and the remorse and the, you know, again, the the second guessing and not being sure that you're doing the right thing. Now, I know not all parents are like that either. Some parents are very self-assured and, 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 you know, good for them, but that wasn't my case a lot of the time. And uh, it just like felt this loneliness. So there's the loneliness of the decision-making that I felt was very strong. And then there was the loneliness of, and that was felt by me, but also by my children. And it was felt the reason why I'm a mess today is because, you know, coming back from this graduation, my, my, my 21 year old, it was, you know, it was hard for her. Interestingly, actually, their big sister was there. My my daughter's big sister from my husband's first marriage was there. So we've had a very we've had a very good relationship with with the the kids of his first marriage. But they, you know, when I met him, his kids were teenagers. Um, his kids from his first marriage, and they actually dealt with divorce. You know, and so that was very very different. But I experienced both. I experienced one as a, as a quote unquote stepmom, and then I experienced the other one being on the other side of being the the, the mom of um, of kids who didn't have a dad anymore. So either way, it's tough for the kids. You know, those important moments in the life of the kids, those, those passages, those transitions, when they have either parents that don't get along and and they have to contend, be in the middle of it, or they only have one. It's um, it's really tough. So that's the other thing that was that was really hard. Yeah. Not having him there for the major milestones and yeah, significant events. That's a lot. In terms of, I love that you have a relationship with his older children too, so that you kind of feel like you're connected in some way. Yeah, it's really wonderful. I mean, we, uh, human relationships are not easy, right? And they take work. And so, you know, sometimes you're just lucky and things just turn out really well. Like my, my parents got divorced and my, my mom remarried this guy and he was just, you know, God's gift to us kids. He was just such an amazing man. You know, I love my dad, but I love, I have two dads, you know, I have two dads and I was blessed with the second dad who was such an incredible gift in our life. So sometimes it turns out that way, but sometimes it doesn't and, and it takes work, you know, so it takes work. And so being the stepmom to two teenagers who have not asked for this and who are not really happy with the situation, you know, so it took work to build that relationship. And I, I, I'm so happy. I I think we're all very happy for it, especially now that he's gone, you know, that we created this bond that their father is gone. So it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen without, you know, effort and stuff like that, but it was well worth, I think the effort to create these relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Did you remarry? No. Okay. That would be tough too, huh? Yeah, it would be. I, I I do have a life partner. Oh, okay. Um, at some point, that did, did happen at some point. So it wasn't a marriage, but it did happen at some point. And uh, that too was work. You know, that too was work and took time. And um, how was that transition for? Well, for you, one because you went from being in a happy marriage and and losing your spouse to an illness, but then also for your kids. So for me, it was kind of like when it finally happened, you know, you asked me when did you know at some point that you were um, kind of out of the woods and I had this moment of like sunshine again, you know, and so from that point, things were possible again. And so then it happened very naturally, you know, it was was not, it happened when it happened and it was pretty easy and it was kind of felt like it was meant to be, you know, and it was just really wonderful for the respective kids of, of both adults. That was another story, you know, because again, kids... I know from the work that I do that really almost no matter what the circumstance, however difficult it might be for adults to understand, but almost no matter what the circumstances are for the kids, if kids, if you give them the choice, they want their parents to stay together. They want families to stay intact. That's what they, that's what we're born to want, you know, really want a mother. Okay. A parent and another parent. I don't want to say yeah, another, yeah. another because that would be exclusive again of, of certain couples, but you know, wanting, um, wanting two parents, wanting two parents, that's what kids really want. And so I think when adults get in the way of that, when, when our adulting gets in the way of that, whatever the, whatever the reason might be in my case, you know, it's just like, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want this. It just not, it wasn't a choice. It was my fault. I didn't did everything I could for this not to happen, but it happened anyway. And, um, so then I felt like, 
you know, some people said to me, you have a right to this, to, to, to be happy again, to find somebody again, but my kids don't care. They don't think so. Kids don't think so. I say, no, 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 you don't do not doing this because you're with us. We're together with a threesome. We're not doing this. And we don't want this other person because they're taking the space of somebody that's, you know, he's not there anymore, but he might as well be right. So don't let that happen. So, and the problem is we, of course, we, we, need to continue living our adults' lives. I mean, that's the way I felt, you know, I need to continue living my life. So finding that middle ground where you live your adult life, you honor yourself, you find joy and happiness again, you, and you also respect your kids and their needs and their wants. And so that's, that's I find, is the most difficult thing to do, the most difficult thing to do. Do you have any advice for um, people who may be listening that are trying to make that transition? Maybe they're early on in a new relationship or they're like getting serious and they want to be mindful of their kids. What would you say to them? Really? You really want me to answer that question? I do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of opinions about the topic. So that, but my opinions are just my own. So listeners, please take this with a grain of salt and do what's right for you. But I'm for, I'm really ferociously for the children because I have had my own childhood experiences because that's my business, because um, I've seen too many, seen and heard too many stories. So I'm, I'm for the children. So I think it's um, one thing that's very important is no matter what the circumstances that parents take it slow. So in other words, that they, that they are mindful of protecting their kids first and foremost, because again, the kids did not ask for this, no matter what this is, they did not ask for it. So I think it is our responsibility as parents to really protect our children the best we can from further hurt in addition to whatever situation they're already dealing with, right? So they, they deserve it. It's a responsibility to really protect them from, so, you know, the thing, do no harm, kind of like that, that principle at first. And what that means is no matter what your circumstance, if you go out and, and go find joy again, which you are absolutely entitled to, which is totally, it's actually a good thing. It's good for the kids that you're happy as a, as a single parent, you know, that you find happiness. It's, it's healthy. It's good. It's going to make you a better parent for sure, but don't bring the kids in it at first. Like just keep those two things separate. And that, let me tell you, I'm a widow. I can tell you it is feasible. Yeah. It is doable. You can separate those two things for a while. And then, and I, and let me tell you, I know so many stories of people that thought that they were, but people move fast, you know? And then if there is another person and they, they want this really bad, they're going to put pressure on you. Say, let me, let us get together. Introduce me to the kids. Let me, let's have right after two months or six months or whatever, too fast, too soon. And then, and then it breaks. And then it was too soon because see, it's one thing to fall in love when you're 20, I think, and this is my personal opinion again, it's one thing to fall in love when you're 20, 22, 25 uh, and to date when there's nobody else involved, you know, you get a chance to really try it out and figure it out and make sure it's the right thing. Now you we're with kids, one, two, three, whatever. Right. And you're hurt whatever the condition you probably hurt, you're probably in pain. This probably it's tough. It's tough to be a single parent, tough life. And so you want this really bad. Right. And so your, your sin, your, your rationale is not super strong. Like you're like no. that pressure and you say, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Let's meet the kids. Right. And, and in fact, it wasn't the right person. And you, six months later, you discover it because you don't have that ideal dating kind of situation. You've got kids. It's a mess. They've got kids. Maybe, you know, you're working, you're trying to figure out between two and four o'clock in the morning. It's not a good way to really find out if this is the right person. It's going to take more time. And so, so my recommendation is just really take your time and leave the kids out of it as long as you can. Yeah, I agree. It's completely doable. I mean, you can have that separate part of your life for a very long time. And when you feel like you're ready and it's something long-term, then you baby step your way in. Exactly. Absolutely. I know people that have been, like you said, very eager to move that whole process along and not good. I appreciate you sharing that. Even if both adults are good intention, decent human beings, smart, emotionally intelligent, even if they do it the 
the best possible way, it's still so many times it's too soon, you know. And then for imagine, imagine just put yourself that sweater. I tell people, try to put yourself in the shoes of the kid. Try to try to literally put yourself, have the empathy, put yourself in the shoes of the kid. Look at them through their eyes, listen to the things through their ears, feel things with their heart. They've just lost the world as they knew it, whatever that might be, you know? And now you bring somebody in and then a few months later, the person is out. Like, can you feel the revolving? Yeah. I mean, it diminishes trust and security. Like there's so many things that it does. Yeah. I can't imagine. Okay. I love that you shared that. So thank you. So we know from this story that you took your time. (laughs) Which is great. So hopefully your kids were ready and were able to transition pretty well. Well, no, actually not at all, but I I kept things separate. You know, kept things separate until until uh it was okay to no longer keep them separate, but that took the very very long time. And old kids, you know, in general, kids are just different too. You you have two kids, three kids, four kids in a family. Not two kids are the same. They're, they 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 might be, but a lot of the time they're very different. And so, what might be really okay with one of the kids might be completely not okay with the other. So it's it's a it's a definitely a juggling act. But I can tell you, let me just share this one more thing with your listeners: is uh, pretty much the whole world. I I did it the way I just explained, which is I protected to the best of my ability, I really took more care of my kids than I took. And people were against that. And it came from a good intention. You deserve this. This is not your fault. You, you know, you should have this, like they'll get over it. They'll be fine. You know? And I, I didn't feel that way, but it was not the majority of the opinions out there. So it took that too, like that strength too, to kind of like resist. And that's often the case in parenting, right? We do things in a certain way and then there's the, the world has opinions and that stuff too. Well, I feel like people are uncomfortable when someone they know is living their life in a way that they're not comfortable with, right? So then they start to question, well, why aren't you living together? Why aren't you married, Pascal? Why aren't you married? Why haven't the kids, why haven't you all moved in together? Right. Because that makes sense in their brain. Like that's the next logical step. Yeah. That pressure culturally is a lot. Yeah. Great. Thank you for sharing that. How about like good memories? Some really fun times with you and you have two girls I'm gathering from this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was hoping you'd ask um, because I have some Again, I'm gonna I warn you, I warn everybody, I might cry on this one because it's just so amazing. But um you know, here's the other thing, and I don't know, I'm sure you are, your your um, listeners probably know about your story a little bit. I don't know if they do or not, but uh, kids also, no matter how hurt they are by whatever the circumstances, they also want to take care of us. You know, they really, really, because they love us and they, you know, so sometimes we don't, can't really tell, but they do really want to take care of us. And I think in particular, I've, I've I've studied this, uh, especially when a parent has died, then they really want to take care of the surviving parent because God forbid anything would happen to the parent, right? So they become really protective, but I'm sure it happens also in, in you know, divorce situations, separation situations, stuff like that. And so some of these situations were, um, I remember clearly my youngest, Eva, whom we just graduated this weekend, uh, was a dancer. And so she had, she was in a nutcracker. And so uh, just before Christmas, a couple of weekends before the, the holidays, we would do Nutcracker weekends, which were like marathon. That's all we do Friday, starting Friday afternoon until Sunday evening late, the two weekends before Christmas. And we're, we're celebrating Christmas, my family. And um, the first two years after my husband died, I'm working, I'm single parenting. I am taking care of the kids and their activities and the Nutcracker and stuff. And I have done nothing to prepare Christmas. Yeah. And the older, the older um, daughter, who's um, 21 months older, so she's not much older. So she must have been 13, maybe 14, something like that. Literally, it was the weekend before Christmas and I had done nothing. I had the tree and it was in front. It was outside the front door. It hadn't even been brought in, let alone gotten decorated, let alone the house decorated, let alone cookies, let alone nothing. No. And I came home from that second weekend of Nutcracker and Ava and I walked into the house and the entire house was decorated like a fairy had, oh, had done a magic wand. I just got chills. The tree, the tree was in, it was decorated. The fire was roaring in the fireplace. There were cookies in the, in the oven. The house, house smelled. They were, it was 
welcome home on the front door with little pompons in red, green, and white. Oh um, my god! Well, actually, that was that was one year, and so that that blew my mind beyond anything I can tell you. I'm sure you were crying. There had to have been tears. <laughs> I'm <be> laughing, <laughs> just like. And the following year, the two of them are together. Uh, it's also a Christmas story. And I go at the last minute because I, I'm missing food for the dinner and for the meals and stuff like that. So I drop Eva from, from the dance and I race to the supermarket and I have a major car accident at the supermarket and my car is totaled. This is literally December 24th, four o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock in the afternoon. I got rammed into in front of the supermarket. My car was totaled. So I called the kids. And I'm like, okay. You were Okay. Yes, thankfully, some of the other people in the car had to be brought away. But um, anyway, so I was at the garage and, you know, car and needed to wait till the police report and the car being towards the garage, etc. And so got home. It was like 930 at night. And uh, same thing. They had the two of them had done absolutely everything again. They even had like wrapped presents and they had hilariously run the dishwasher and they had they didn't know that you had to put um special dishwasher soap so they had pushed dishwashing liquid in the washing machine so there was the entire kitchen apparently had been completely under soap i did that once Mm -hmm. not the entire soap they told me after the fact so the kitchen was like pristine Uh (laughs) but it was just um Incredible moments, incredible that they, they step up. Kids do that. You know, they, they step up to the plate and they not always, but sometimes they do. And then it makes every minute of sweat and tear worth it. You know, it does. It does. And I think just the connection we have with them for me as a single parent, I have two little boys and I just feel like, you know, there's probably some attachment issues, I'm sure. However, we have, you know, these wonderful relationships because we're kind of like the three, the threesome. Yeah. So we just have to work together. Yeah. Three musketeers, right? Yeah. I love it. So we do um, in our family, we, we do something um, uh, that's called family meetings, which I, I really, really recommend every family does. And especially when things are tough is even more, more worthy. So it's like meeting once a week. And those family meetings are really about appreciating each other, uh, looking at the calendar for the week and getting organized, you know, so bringing in a little bit of business. And we were doing those before my husband passed away. And so, and we, we already had organized the jobs of the family, the chores of the house. And we had a system of how we split them and who was doing what and how we were rotating them every week. And so after he died, after a few weeks after he's passed away, we had our first meeting and said, okay, kids, we're going to have to regroup here because that big guy that was doing a lot, he's gone. And so it's just the three of us. Now we got to get reorganized. Like, and my, my little one said, well, you know what, mom, I'm like really good in technology. Like I'm really good with computers. So I'm going to do everything that's technology in the house. Actually, you know what? I'm going to be the man of the house. So anytime there's a bulb to change <laughs> or a nail to nail to, to, to hammer in the wall, I'll be the man of the house. So, so we had pretty traditional role division in our house. And so she said, she decided she was going to be the man of the house. And then the other one said, well, you know, I'm not really good at that. And I don't like it anyways, but I'm really good at like house stuff. Right. So I'll be helping you with the house chores, like with the laundry and the cooking and that I'll free up time. So you can do more work. You can work more and earn money. Huh. So that was another one of those like really special, special moments. I love that. And do you still do them? I mean, no, because you only we have- did we did when they were still at home. Yeah. Now now it's kind of like we don't really even have to to meet anymore. I mean, I told you the oldest one is back home and is cooking up a store every day. But uh, so so now the division of labor is she's cooking and I'm doing the dishes because she's already cooking. But uh, yeah, I mean, we we still do meetings occasionally when we're on vacation together, or whatever. But. Uh, yeah, it's it was those were lifesavers because you know you you can also discuss issues there and really try to work on solving problems and uh, it's just a a gathering place and and because we we focus more on on it being an encouraging moment uh, where we would appreciate each other and stuff. My kids would actually ask for it when we you know because with the day to day and when it's just the three of us and you're running around like crazy and. It's hard to find the time, even though it's only 15, 20 minutes, but it's hard to find the time to remember to do it when you're exhausted. And they're the ones who would be saying, mom, we, we haven't done a family meeting. Everybody's like into power struggles and we're fighting like crazy. We need a family meeting. We do it. And it like really just like 
boost us all up, you know? Yeah. I love that. I have a friend who does family meetings and I've been thinking about starting it with the boys. Um, and I think they're probably at the age where it would make sense. So I'll have to play with that. It's magic really is magic. See, because the thing is that it really makes them feel, um, which is so important, I feel, when they don't have control, you know, and in situations where that lead us to be single parents, they don't have, I mean, kids in general, when they're little, don't have a lot of control because we tell them when to get up, when to go to bed, to go during the day, what to do, et cetera. So um, being, being a kid is not having a lot of control typically, but in particular in a situation like ours, so, so literally, if you if you put the words on it, it's like you don't have control. You're therefore out of control. And so, by giving, by having family meetings, it's a place where, when you get appreciated for you know stuff that you've done during the week, or when you get you you get to take on a chore of the family and really help out the family, it gives you control again over something. It makes you feel really good, you know. So, I think that that's one of the things that helped my kids through the hardship and from the hardship is to become more. You don't want to overdo it. You don't want to over-responsibilize them. That's not the idea, but to empower them and make them feel like they matter, you know, really. Yeah. No, I think that's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. They're more invested. They see that they're connected to what's going on and not out of control, like you said. I love that. And that they matter. That yeah, they matter. And they matter. That they're they a part a of it. See, because here's the thing is if, if they don't feel like they matter, then they're just going to be in that victim role of poor me, you know, my, I'm not, I'm so unlucky this happened to me in life versus if you then say, well, but you can, you know, you can contribute you, there's something that you can do and you can, you, you matter here. It's just like, we're, we're a team of three now and you, we all need to pull our weight. That's pretty mighty. Yeah. It's pretty mighty for Ken. I'm curious, what day of the week did you have your meetings? It was Sunday mornings after breakfast. Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Sunday morning after breakfast. That was when we were still put together and organized. And then when everything went, <laughs> <laughs> when everything went down uh, and we, you know, really, like I told you, my, they were 10 and 12 when, when this happened and then they hit the teen years, you know, middle school, high school with both of them having uh, athletic sports and activities where it was every single weekend we were gone. I was gone in two different places and things like that. So we, we had no time. So then we do it like quickly during dinner, Sunday evening dinner, you know, because we had to do it because it was already Sunday. Just no, we didn't do it this morning. We forgot. <laughs> so whatever we, we could do it after when, when things really got crazy, when they got older, but, uh, but the, the more calm thing was Sunday morning after breakfast is when nobody's, if nobody's running anywhere because of a baseball game or something. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's move into your parenting classes. You have a talk um, in a few weeks all about single parenting or specifically towards single parents. Can we dive into a little bit of that work and whatever you feel you want our listeners to take away from that? I'd love to share. Thanks for asking. So, yeah, so I teach uh, and one of the things that also, I think, saved me uh, throughout this whole story was the fact that I had been not only that I was a coach, but that also had taken these parenting classes when my kids were little, which, by the way, is how I became a coach as a result of these parenting classes. And so I still 20 years later, I'm still there. I still teach classes on a regular basis. So the organization is called PEP, which stands for Parent Encouragement Program, because parents need encouragement, too. And what happened was is specifically, we had already started before COVID, but uh, definitely through before it was in-person classes. So somebody in Las Vegas couldn't have come taken a class, but now we're all online. And so if people Google pepparent.org, P-E-Parent.org, they'll see the whole library of masterclasses of webinars. A lot of them are free, by the way, because we're a nonprofit. And I believe that actually the single parenting webinar that I taught is in that library. So it's like 25 bucks and you can go listen to it. I, I believe it's in there. So that's a place that's a fantastic place for parents, especially for single parents, because it, what we teach is universal. I also, because my kid, I told you, because my kid had a, a, a very severe um, health issue, I also developed a webinar on or the workshop on how to parent 
children with very serious medical issues, you know, so there's, it's always the same principles, but it's always kind of like adapted slightly to whatever the special circumstance. So we also have one for uh, neurodiverse kids, you know, so there's like all sorts of, of, of different topics and they're kind of like all in that library. And then we have ongoing live webinars where you can come to the webinar and actually ask questions and interact with a presenter. So pepparent.org. This one that I'm doing at the end of May is at um, a conference called NASAP, N-A-S-A-P, NASAP conference, but it is in person and I don't believe that my workshop is going to be um, virtual. I'm not 100% certain, but it stands for uh, North American Society of Adlerian Psychology, which is the psychology that underpins everything that, that we teach at PEP. So that's really where parents can find. It's an incredible resource. There's like, you know, regular newsletter with articles about parenting, all sorts of different topics. And uh, like I said, I believe that Parenting is parenting is parenting, yeah. <laughs> but when, when the going gets tough and it gets tough, even for intact families that don't have single, single parenting issues, but see, that's the one thing that's such an important job, right? We're raising the, the human beings of tomorrow and we're not, we're taught that exactly nowhere. You know, there's no school, there's no class in, in maybe in college, if you take child development, but there is no parenting class per se. If you ask me, it should be like a prerequisite. You, you cannot have a, then you need to be signed off that you've taken parenting, you take parenting classes, breastfeeding classes, why are you not taking parenting classes, right? It's so important and it is not that hard, but those principles, particularly that we teach those, those Adlerian principles based in, in, you know, this positive discipline stuff. It's not that hard. It's like minute little tweaks, but that make a life of a difference. So all those things that I've talked to you about today, the family meetings, the empowering the, key, the kids so that they feel significant because, because when they're out of control, because they don't have control, you know, it's going to go either wrong or it's going to go right. But, but by being strength-based and positive discipline-based and encouraging and empowering the kids, it makes like a day and night difference, really. And it's even more needed when you're in difficult circumstances, like single parenting or parenting children who have health issues or neuro neurodiverse situations or whatever. You know, that's when you need it even more. It's always the same stuff, but you need to be better at it when you're facing really difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so these are specific principles that you teach on in these classes. That's right. Okay. Okay, since you give me that, that opening, I'm actually starting. We have two master classes. We're coming up with a third. And those master classes are four week long. They start at the beginning of every month. So you can always come back and take it every month, four weeks. One of them is called encouragement. It's the first one, encouragement. And the second one is called discipline. And so encouragement is all about the strength based encouraging your kids and all the different techniques of encouragement because everything should be based on the foundation of encouragement, because when we are encouraged, we do better. But the second class is discipline, and it's all about limit setting. So about, you know, what, what makes people, what makes kids behave the way they do, and how do you set limits around that, positive, positive limits. And I happen to start teaching the May discipline class on Wednesday evening. So if ah. your folks want to go on the website, pepparent.org, and go look at the master classes, I'll be teaching the um, the Wednesday evening. Yes. Perfect. Can you give us an example of, you mentioned positive limits. What would be an example of that? You can either stay at the dinner table and uh, eat with reasonable table manners or dinner will be over. Mm-hmm. You can walk to the bath or you can skip to the bath. Which do you choose? You don't want to put your clothes on this morning? That's okay. We'll just put your clothes on in the bag and we'll go to school with your PJs. And then you can decide at any point in time when you want to put your clothes on. (laughs) You don't want to practice your piano this week? Well, that's, you know, really, I'm sorry to see that. It sounds like piano practicing is not fun for you or it's difficult for you. Maybe we should have a conversation at the family meeting on Sunday about that. Meanwhile, you know, it's between you and your teacher. So putting the onus on them. Yeah. And what is that? Empowering, right? Yes. It's really um, giving up on the illusion that we actually control those little people. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a power struggle. I've learned that over the years. And I do that. I didn't know that there was a name to it, though. So that makes me feel good. Like, okay, I'm doing something right (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) I love that. So that's super helpful that there's a name to it. And we'll make sure to put that information in the show notes. So I'll get all that from you. So it's there. 
Pascal, is there anything we didn't touch on or that you feel is important to leave with? Yes. Okay. So glad you asked. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you asked because we would not have said this and this is so important. You know, you asked me earlier, what is, what, what helped you? And, um, I don't know that I would have called it then. So, but really self-care. Yes. Number one priority when you are a single parent, that's kind of like the idea of what I said, you know, you got to take care of yourself and bring, gives you what brings you joy. You're going to be a better parent self-care. And, you know, it's, I know it's a complete cliche thing. You get on an airplane, they tell you if the plane goes down, you put your oxygen mask on first because why? Because if you don't, then you're dead and you can't help your, your kid. Right. And so that's exact. that's exactly the bottom line. You cannot be a good parent to your kid, especially not when life is hard. If you do not take care of yourself first and so many parents are thinking, well, that's selfish. I can't do that. I can't, you know, they come first. I got to take care of them first. Yes. In the case of dating and things like that, that that's when you want to protect them, but, but self-care. So every day, micro moments of rest, working out enough sleep, laughter, connection with your friends, you must make yourself a priority. The same way that when couples are not, you know, when, when there's a family where, where it's an intact family and there's a couple, we, we talk to the parents and we say date night is mandatory. Yeah. Mandatory because that's also part of self-care. And during that date night, business, family business and parenting is not a topic. It's off limits because that is not dating. Okay. That is not joy. And that is not fun. You do that during a business meeting, during a family meeting, you do not do that during a date. So self-care is the thing we didn't talk about and, and nothing we talked about is possible. And, and we cannot be parents, let alone good parents, if we are not doing what brings us joy, doing what makes us strong, doing what makes us healthy mentally and physically. Absolutely. What was your favorite form of self-care or what, what is? Going in the woods. Okay. I thought you were going to say that. I just wanted to make sure I asked. Hugging trees, biking, mountain biking, running, you know, lying in the grass. Yeah. Yeah. Nature. I love it. I'm so glad you said that. It's a huge topic for parents and specifically for those who are doing it alone, even more important. And I cannot tell you how often we have parents who say, well, but yeah, well, that's easier said than done, right? How do I find the time? You don't find it. You make it. Yeah. You go to work, you make the time to go to work eight hours a day, you plug in, right? And so same thing. It's just a matter of putting in the calendar. And again, it's kind of, you have to think about it as an investment in yourself. You, you, you know, those five minutes, those 10 minutes, this half hour, you're going to be so much better of a parent. All these parent struggles are going to melt away because instead of having a power struggle, you're going to have a tickle party. You're going to have a story time. You're going to have the patience to deal with your kid. It's not going to delve into a power struggle. That's going to take you fucked and deplete you completely. You just like you turn things around. Yes, I love that. So important. I am no good when I am tired and burnt out and anxious and <laughs> on edge. Nope. Nobody should be around me. It's not safe. <laughs> and nobody else is either. I promise you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pascal. I really appreciated you sharing your story, but then also your wisdom and, and the work that you're doing to support um, parents and single parents, especially. Thank you for having me, Kelly. It was true pleasure. And I hope um, you and your listeners got something out of it. And maybe I'll see some of you in in a pep class sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. Good Good luck to all of you. I know this is tough work, but it's well worth every every tear and every <laughs> sweat that you're all the sweat that you put into it. So well worth it. 